Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's week four and a half, week five of college football, week four in the NFL, and we've got all the props, odds, promos, and parlays ready for you at BetOnline Sportsbook. Use our promo code Believe. that's B-L-E-A-V, with the link in the description to this episode, and you can get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. You know where this is going, man. I got to talk about Brandon Staley. Uh, Brandon Staley, I wanted him fired last year. And I'm not a charge fan, obviously. But I wanted him fired last year because I don't think that he is an NFL-level head coach. He looks like something that Dean Spanos pulled out of the bargain bin at Walmart and said, okay, I'm going to put this in the DVD player. This is my head coach. And yes, they were a playoff team last year. But let's not forget how their playoff run ended last year. They were up. 27 points, Trevor Lawrence, four interceptions in the first half, and they lost that game. Lost them. And and through the early goings here, a couple more blown leads added onto it. I tell you this, blown leads are on coaches, and that is why, like, I look at Brandon Staley, I look at what was supposed to be a defensive guru, and I think he needs to be gone. He is holding this team back. You have an elite quarterback. And Justin Herbert, and you're winless again to start this season. Brandon Staley, Justin Herbert, the Chargers, where do you want to start first yourself? Well, as a recovering Charger fan of six years who will be spending the rest of my life not rooting for the Chargers and not emotionally investing in the Chargers, let me just say, once again, the Chargers have failed Justin Herbert. Like, if you have a Venn diagram of successful teams in the NFL, you need top-end generational star talent at a premium position. Maybe one, maybe two players, but you need one of the 15 best players in the NFL who plays a premium position, quarterback, edge rusher, wide receiver, one of those players. And then the other side is organizational competence. You need to surround that star with organizational competence. Chargers have the star, have failed Justin Herbert at almost every turn. Let me put that out there first. Okay, second part. This is one of the rare times that I actually seeked out a coach's press conference because Brandon Staley was salty as hell. Yeah, we just lost a game in overtime, Jeff. So how do you think the mood is? How do you think the mood is? How do you think it is? It's tough. It's tough. It's a tough, it's tough group in there. There's a lot of pride in that room. Okay. And we put a lot into this and we got a good football team. That was Brandon Staley's <laughs> response after the Chargers yeah. lost in overtime to the Titans. He is feeling it right now and uh if you're taking odds on a first coach to get fired i think we are not too far away from a mutiny in that charger locker room on brandon staley (laughs) 
Okay, well, let's talk about that because, yeah, Brandon Staley, is, he's been having multiple people, not just myself, say that he needs to be gone for this team to truly advance. So they go into this game against the Vikings. Uh, he's facing former colleague and uh, Kevin O'Connell. So uh, the Sean McVay Bowl, we can also dub this one as. But I just don't see how this Chargers defense, the mess that it is, is going to keep Justin Jefferson from posting 300 to 400 yards in this game. <laughs> Because <laughs> J.C. Jackson is ass. Ever since he left the Patriots locker room, he's just ass. Let, let's just call it what it is. Even like Asante Samuel Jr., he's taken a huge step back. This Chargers defense, again, I mentioned it goes back to Brandon Staley. He was a defensive-minded head coach, and they're bad. They're using a cornerback rotation now. Even players like Joey Bosa, who put up their highest like PFF grade, like He's neutralized because there's only so much he can do to impact the game. Kenneth Murray, he came around in this last game. He had 10 tackles and a sack, but Kenneth Murray has been a bust for the majority of his NFL career. I think it's a little too little too late as far as for him to really make an impact on turning this team around. And they they can't get any pressure. The middle of their defensive line is just a weak spot. So as bad as we think the Vikings offensive line is, the fact that they can't get any pressure Kirk Cousins may be able to sit comfortably in this game. And again, there's nothing on the back end that's going to stop Justin Jefferson or Jordan Addison, who we talked about is coming around from putting on a, a clinic. Looking at that game in particular, like what kind of pressure is just going into this game against another team that's 0-2? You know how tough it is when you're 0-2 and they're 0-2 and both teams are kind of like doing the Spider-Man meme of each other because like you've seen the upset Justin Jefferson on the sidelines memes, right? Like every game they lose, it's like Justin Jefferson has to be going on for Justin Herbert, but Justin Herbert's way less like showing his emotions on the field. Like Justin Herbert internalizes this a lot more than he projects it outward. So I could get behind Justin Herbert is like also feeling the pain of these losses and the organization letting him down. But I mean, going to this game, I think the Vikings are favored going into the game. So at that point, what does it say about the Chargers? Uh, like you said, defensively. Okay, so the Staley part of it, I don't give him as much crap for the defensive side of the ball. We talked about this last year after the playoff game. We're like, the Cook can only do but so much when there's shortcomings on the defensive side of the ball. Like, they've been terrible at stopping the run for three years. In Staley's first season, they were the worst rushing defense in NFL history. History. They were the worst rushing defense. Last year, they were 31st in the league in rushing defense. Only the Giants were worse than them. And this year, I mean, it's too small sample size to know for sure. But we saw what happened in that game against the Titans. Derrick Henry carved him up like a turkey. So, like, there's just fundamental flaws. They can't stop the run. Their solution to that was, what if we pay a lot of money for Khalil Mack, a guy who, one, I forgot was still on the Chargers, and two, the Bears wouldn't have let him go if he had anything worth a damn left in the tank. Look, the Chargers have mismanaged this thing from top to bottom. Dean Spanos is cheap, so he's not willing to, like, convert contracts to signing bonus in order to like clear salary cap space so they're operating right, right now with like negative nine million on the salary cap which i don't understand how that's even possible but you can get out of this by converting base salary to signing bonus dean spanos just doesn't want to fork up the money as signing bonus because he's cheap as hell so the chargers are stuck in cap purgatory the roster's not good enough to win more than 10 games and now that they're zero two and blown leads in games they should have won the Chargers are in a tough predicament where there's only but so many of these losses you can take before it starts to affect your playoff probabilities. And in the AFC, those playoff probabilities are going to be tough on the Chargers because 
I can name five teams off the top of my head I know are more talented than the Chargers. And if the Chargers are going to start falling behind some of those teams and someone has to win the AFC South, so there's really only six playoff spots up for grabs in the AFC, then the Chargers find themselves in a tough math equation in terms of finally getting over the hump and winning a playoff game with Justin Herbert. Do you think a mid-season coaching firing is possible? I know it's not typically what Dean Spanos and that organization have done in the past, but this could get pretty ugly pretty fast because their upcoming slate of the games, again, I mentioned they play the Vikings. The Packers have looked better through the seasons early going than we thought they were going to be. The Cowboys have looked really good. We know how good the Chiefs are whenever they play up to their abilities. Their first winnable game or truly winnable game that should be a cakewalk, the Chicago Bears in week eight. So let's they start like one and six or yeah, even like 0 and 5. Like, what are we looking at with Brandon Staley? Because it's already a four game losing streak when you consider how last season ended and then they lost their last game of the regular season as well. It's looking pretty bad. So, the last game of the regular season last year, the only thing I remember it for was Brandon Staley playing Mike Williams for no reason. Mike Williams getting hurt and then missing the playoff game. So, that's another knock against the Brandon Staley belt at this point. Just for the record, the, the only coach who has ever been an interim midseason to make the playoffs in I want to say like the last 40 years of NFL history is Rich Bisaccia with the Raiders and Rich Bisaccia didn't take over that job for performance Rich Bisaccia took over that job because John Gruden got caught being a bigot in a bunch of emails that led to him resigning in disgrace as head coach of the Raiders so they will fire Brandon Staley when the season is awash when, when this thing has no chance of turning around that's when they'll fire Brandon Staley is when they have acknowledged the season is a wash. If they go one and six, I think it would be safe to assume this season's probably a wash for the Chargers. If they go two and six, maybe they argue this season's a wash for the Chargers. But Brandon Staley will get fired as soon as they recognize that the season is essentially over and they don't have a chance of making the playoffs. And they might not ever get there. I'm not saying the Chargers can't turn this thing around. They have Justin Herbert. Keenan Allen has been excellent to start the season. Austin Eckler is still one of the better running backs in the NFL I know he's going to be out for week three now which is a bit of a problem but they're hoping he'll be back by week four yeah well that's something we should touch on too that Austin Eckler yes he's dealing with that ankle injury and if he misses some playing time they don't have a running game either so as bad as I mentioned their defense is and their issues there similar to Vikings so again you mentioned the Spider-Man thing right here we have two teams that can't run we have two teams with bad defenses and we have two teams that their quarterback is at least in the top 10 in the NFL right so basically we have a mm-hmm. uh, real, well, we really start counting them out. Kirk Cousins probably slides in there, but mm-hmm. anyway, <laughs> well, Hey, we still need to figure out what Justin Herbert, what is he too? I mean, abilities wise. Sure. Yes. We know how good he is abilities wise, but the clutch gene is starting to fall into question whether that's all on Brandon Staley time will tell, but really it's just, we're going to figure that out when Brandon Staley has gone, which who knows if that's week eight, If that's the end of the season, will Justin Herbert ever have a head coach that we deem worthy of coaching his talents? Will Dean Spanos ever shout out the Bucks to get that coach? I mean, you had the perfect opportunity this offseason to go get Sean Payton. He was out there just on the market. Could have been had by anyone. And the Chargers said, nah, we'll, we'll stick with Brandon Staley. We'll run it back another year, despite that embarrassing playoff loss that they suffered to the Jacksonville Jaguars, which... I think you are still thinking about Brandon Staley. Clearly, it is still living rent-free because you wouldn't have got that upset in that press conference if it wasn't the case. How do you think the mood is? How do you think the mood is? 
I do really want to take on the Justin Herbert conversation now because I am infinitely fascinated by Justin Herbert's career as a former Charger fan who saw Philip Rivers and is now seeing Justin Herbert fall into the same type of predicament as Philip Rivers because both of these things that I'm about to mention are not mutually exclusive. Both can coexist at the same time. One, Justin Herbert is the reason the Chargers are good. Okay, Justin Herbert is by all statistical metrics, one of the six to seven best quarterbacks in the NFL. He's not quite Patrick Mahomes, but at times he's also better than Joe Burrow. Like we have the statistical evidence to back up that Justin Herbert is a quarterback that can elevate a team around him. That can be true. And Justin Herbert deserves some of the blame for the playoff loss against the Jacksonville Jaguars. He did not play well in the second half of that game. The offense got stale. He missed some easy throws. Both of these things can be true at the same time. It is not a grand indictment on Justin Herbert's career. It is not a grand indictment of him as a choker. It was a bad game. Everything went wrong for the Chargers for them to lose that game, just as everything went right for them on the defensive side of the ball to get them in a position to take that lead in the first right? So Justin Herbert is this really good quarterback and deserves some of the blame for the playoff loss. Now you bring into focus the rest of the organization around Justin Herbert. Poor allocation of resources. You mentioned J.C. Jackson being ass. I think that's an appropriate description. They're spending a lot of money on J.C. Jackson and don't want to take the L to buy him out at this stage of the game. Spending a lot of money on Joey Bosa. That one seems to be working out well. Spending a lot of money on Khalil Mack. Spending a lot of money on Keenan Allen. About to spend a lot of money on Mike Williams because Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are now both two of the 15 highest paid receivers in the NFL. They're not getting great value at the position. And when I saw that they drafted Quinton Johnson, it made me think that they were going to move on from one of those two receivers, most likely Mike Williams. So the Chargers aren't getting great value at some of these key positions. Now, granted, they also are getting back uh, Rashawn Slater. They're getting back Rashawn Slater, who missed all of last season. He was all pro as a rookie. I think that'll be a great support system for Justin Herbert. But at the same time, organization has not given Justin Herbert the resources to achieve his best. And what Justin Herbert can be at his best is what we saw Josh Allen in the playoffs against Kansas City, where he can go toe-to-toe with Mahomes. He can go toe-to-toe with Joe Burrow. What Joe Burrow has done against Kansas City at times, Justin Herbert can do that. Where they've come up short is that they haven't put the right resources around him to be able to have a team good enough to take on the very, very best in the AFC or in the NFL at large. They can beat the mediocre teams. We saw this at the end of last year. They won like five games in a row to end last season to get in the playoffs. Four of them were against teams with a below 500 record. They can beat the, the the poor teams. They can beat the mediocre teams in the league. They just have a ceiling that they won't be able to get over when they take on a team that has an equal quarterback talent to Justin Herbert and also has organizational competence and a better roster built around them. Because if someone wants to make the argument, at times Justin Herbert is the second best quarterback in the NFL, I'm willing to hear out the argument. Sometimes he plays better than Joe Burrow. Sometimes he plays better than Lamar Jackson. Sometimes he plays worse than Josh Allen. Sometimes he plays better than Josh Allen. I'm willing to hear out the conversation because I think all of those quarterbacks are in that same group of like two through six behind Mahomes. The difference for Herbert when it comes to crunch time is when he's playing against teams who are also having one of those star quarterbacks or just star players in general and also have organizational competence 
around them. And we've seen that at times with seven point losses to Kansas City, six point losses to Baltimore, three point losses to Jacksonville, like little things like that are where the rest of the team starts to play a factor in the final results. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I got to tell you, I didn't see a 70-point day being on my NFL bingo card this season. In fact, I had no reason to because it hadn't happened since 1966. Kyle, do you have any questions left about this Miami Dolphins offense being legit? Because playmakers across the field is what I saw today against the Broncos. Offense, no question. The team itself, better than last year. That That's my conclusion. Because you might remember this week, last year was that game where it was like 100 degrees in Miami and the Bills were playing the Dolphins and they had like this awesome game where at the end, Stephon Diggs got cramps, so he was out on the last play and the Bills had the game-winning touchdown, but Josh Allen threw it short of the receiver and then Ken Dorsey was like throwing stuff and then that hand like covered the camera that was showing Ken Dorsey. After that game, even I felt, well, Buffalo is clearly still a better team than the Miami Dolphins, right? Like the Dolphins may have won this game. They may be 3-0. and They may be scoring a whole bunch of points, but obviously the Dolphins are not as good as this Buffalo Bills team. And walking away from the Dolphins thus far in the season, I mean, 70-point game, you can put that in perspective. You can put in perspective the game they played against the Chargers where Tua had 450 passing yards. Like my takeaway is that the Miami Dolphins are legitimately one of the four best teams in the NFL. The defense is still like at a league average level, but as long as it's not terrible like last year, I think that the Dolphins have one of the two best offenses in the NFL, maybe three, depending on how you feel about the 49ers. But I mean, the Miami Dolphins are incredible at this point. There's no doubt that they have one of the best offenses in the NFL and might be one of the four best teams in the NFL. How impressed are you knowing that they did this today without Jalen Waddle? It makes it even more impressive. And look, there's so many, so many impressive things about the Dolphins. Coming into this game, Tua Tagovailoa had the fewest seconds snap to throw in the entire NFL through two weeks. It was 2.3 seconds snap to throw, which is really good when you have a shaky offensive line and a quarterback who has a history of injury problems, specifically head injury problems. It's great that he's getting the ball out quickly before he can get hit. Uh, Despite the fact that he has the fastest snap to throw time, the Dolphins offense also has the furthest yards traveled in the air by passes. 10.2 was coming into this week. So they had the quickest snap to released and the furthest yards per pass attempt as a team, which is crazy. It just is a testament to how much speed they have. And like you said, even without Jalen Waddle playing today, it was just speed all across the field. They've incorporated shifts in motion into their offense. So Terry Hill gets a running head start coming out of the backfield when they, they move him from outside into the slot. And the touchdown that he had, like the safety made the right play for the Broncos. Tariq Hill just 
burned him down the field because you gave the fastest receiver in the NFL a 30-yard head start on the safety. The safety took the right angle. Tariq Hill just burned him. Like, yeah, to do all this without Jalen Waddell and to have a Kane, I keep mispronouncing our name, I keep wanting to call him Acne, but a Kane who had... I think. I think it's A-chain. A-Chain. That's the pronunciation I heard most often on the broadcast. Devon A-Chain, the backup running back who had four touchdowns and 230 yards. The starting running back, Raheem Mostert, who had four touchdowns himself. Like, yeah, there's just speed all across the field. They have fixed the running game. They have speed that makes it so that even if Jalen Waddle doesn't play, they can put up 70 points in a game. Well, you'll remember like a couple of years back, um, we were having this argument over the Miami Dolphin running game and how effective it could be be and a big problem for them was obviously Raheem Mostert's health he just hasn't been healthy Uh, you go back to like 2019 with the 49ers him going off in the NFC championship game I felt like that was his last like healthy moment in the NFL because 2020 was just a mess for him 2021 even more so and uh, last year like I know he was on and off the field as well same goes for Jeff Wilson Jr. still currently on IR for the team Uh, I know they had Selvin Ahmed who was not in that game so you had to turn to AJ and like again a rookie and he sets I want to say he set the all-time rookie running back yardage mark for a single game which is just ridiculous and if you had any of these guys in fantasy too let's face it a-chain mostert four touchdowns apiece it just mind-boggling numbers i gotta ask you so like mike mcdaniel we, we talked about mike mcdaniel being the backup option a couple years ago that has to be one of the best mishaps that ever went in the team's favor because when i look at what this guy has brought to this team schematically it's it's obvious. It just jumps off the field. It jumps off the tape, as they say. I mean, 726 yards, and they could have had the record. They could have had the record. I can't say that enough. At the record, 72. They had 70 today. They could have had the 73 points there. At 726 yards, too. They could have had that all-time record, but they chose not to. So the aggressiveness for McDaniel stood out, but he did tone it down towards the end there. How impressed are you that he's so aggressive? Because they were up 35 to 13 at one point in this game. And they said, we're still going to run it on fourth down for a touchdown. We're still going to pass the ball. They were still doing that stuff late in the game. What did you think of that? To your original point about Mike McDaniel, remember, he was their plan D option when all of this was going on. Because remember, the Miami Dolphins tried to concoct a plan where Sean Payton would come out of retirement to have part owner Tom Brady come out of the ownership box to play a quarterback. <laughs> Hold the- up. I, I got to jump in. I just got to say, do you think that that had anything to do with today? Not particular. However, the the cosmic karma is just chef's kiss beautiful. To go from that, again, this is not speculation. This is confirmed to be true. They were going to have Sean Payton coach the Dolphins with part owner Tom Brady coming out of the ownership box to be the quarterback. And when that fell apart, they pivoted to Jim Harbaugh. And when that fell apart... They wanted Brian Dayball. Brian Dayball declined to interview for the job because he had already been offered the Giants job. So McDaniel was their plan D. And he has been the best coaching hire of the last three to four years in the NFL, I want to say. What I'm most impressed with by McDaniel, and this is the sign of a coach that I think will last 9, 10, 12 years in the NFL. They have pivoted over and over again. They weren't getting the ball out that quickly last year with Tua. It wasn't 2.5 second snap to throw like it was last 
year. That's a change in the offense. They're running similar motions in the offense with the receivers, but you're seeing it more frequently. And he has the personnel that he wants now. Like Gasecki was a pro bowler before McDaniel got there and he didn't have a place in the offense. Why? Because Gasecki's too slow. We can't have him running around in that. And Gasecki went from a pro bowler who they franchise tagged to just totally irrelevant with within yeah. the span of that offense. And to the part you were talking about earlier, remember at the start of last season when you and I were going back and forth about the Dolphins running game and you said this is a running game that can be top of the or like top half to top 10 in the NFL. And I said a running back room of Miles Gaskin, Chase Edmonds and Salvin Ahmed is not going to be very good. Raheem was there. Raheem was there. No, he just wasn't not healthy. At the, not at the time. Not at the time. Because remember... They stunk it up and then immediately cleared out everyone in the running back room. Then they got Mostert. Then Jeff Wilson came in. They obviously drafted a a chain and it worked without improving the offensive line significantly. I mean, they they made a couple tinkers here and there. Like they made a new standard. Basically, if you don't run a four three, you can't be in this offense. Yes, exactly. And completely moved on from the running backs, traded Chase Edmonds last. I think he's in Tampa now, but like they traded Chase Edmonds. They got rid of Gaskin. I know Ahmed is still around, but he's like the fourth running back on the team who's a practice squad guy at this point. Like totally rebuilt the running back room and now it's fixed. Like even before the 376 rushing yards today, which is just a ridiculous sentence to say, 376 rushing yards even and eight touchdowns, even before that, they had fixed the running back situation. And that's the thing that has taken this offense from very, very good to over the top, one of the three best offenses in the NFL. Tua is starting to get some MVP hype and it's well-deserved. You just look at the numbers. It's well-deserved for him to be in that MVP conversation right now. Today, he literally had more passing touchdowns than he had incompletions. I think the number was 23 for 26, 309 yards, four touchdowns. He had that like sick, like shovel pass too in the middle. That's something we only see Patrick Mahomes do. <laughs> and Tua's doing no it now. No look left-handed shuffle pass. Yeah, he has so much confidence in this offense, which I think, again, that's another notch on the belt for McDaniel. When we go back to McDaniel getting hired in Miami, and what that meant for this team. Remember that phone conversation, him picking up the phone. We thought, oh, this is just a cute little Miami Dolphins promo, him hyping up to a, but that's real. You look how they interact on the sideline and they actually got a little bit of a bromance going. And I think that that's exactly what you need for a young quarterback in the NFL. And if I'm a GM, front office, ownership, whatever, moving forward, it's just going to be hard for me to make a case for a defensive-minded head coach if I have a young quarterback. I need to have a guy like McDaniel. I know everyone wanted their McVay. Everyone wants their McDaniel, wanted their Kyle Shanahan. But it's so important, particularly if you do have a young, developing, starting quarterback, because the beautiful part about having that offensive mind you're in your building, at your head coach position, they don't leave. Every year, yearly, they don't leave. Like if McDaniel had an offensive coordinator calling all his plays for him, that guy's going to leave. Like after this year, after a 70 point day, I'm sure that his phone will be going off the hook, right? He couldn't put his phone down for head coaching offers. But since McDaniel is the head coach, Miami doesn't have to worry about that. And you go back to like the Brian Flores decision too. And I know that that's also a messy situation, but they made the right call. End of the day, they made the right call and look where they are now. The results are speaking for themselves. So that part's an interesting 
element to it is everything that had to go into this because the Miami Dolphins fell ass backwards into this. We talked about McDaniel being the plan D situation before, but the reason we were talking about two years ago going Tom Brady instead of Tua, going for uh, insert Derek Carr instead of Tua, like the whole reason that conversation was happening is because we didn't believe the Dolphins were going to put Tua in a position to succeed. And this is where developmental projects actually bear results, right? Like everyone talked about Jalen Hurts being the the crazy revelation last season. And now I think Jalen Hurts is like the first quarterback since like the 1960s to be 17 and one in an 18 game stretch or something like that. But like this is what developmental projects look like. It is having a vision for what this offense is going to look like, having a quarterback with a very specific skill set to tailor that offense and then having success from it as much much as I want to crap on Sean Payton, like Sean Payton built a Hall of Fame career this way. He picked a quarterback who who perfectly fit the offense he wanted to run in New Orleans, and that was Drew Brees, a very talented quarterback, but one that the Chargers had, had decided they were ready to move on from. And in a similar type of case, not exactly the same path, but like Tua was old news by his third season, right? Like Tua going into last year was, well, we know he'll never be Justin Herbert, Right. That was the thing that I had said. I don't know what Tua is, but I know he'll never be Justin Herbert. And as the results bear themselves out, they've put a situation around him where he can flourish and blossom. And regardless of how good or bad you think Tua is, like, let, let's acknowledge that the Dolphins haven't offered him any contract extension yet. But besides that point, like, this is what developmental projects look like it is a yeah. vision from a coaching staff on down and enacting that vision in a way that you are able to execute with the talent that you have on their team. And also, the gift of acquiring Tariq Hill makes this whole machine work, of course. So let me ask you, is this ultimately a lesson on why NFL front offices should retain their ball boys? <laughs> over over the course of 20 years, that really would have panned out greatly for the Broncos had they just kept McDaniel in their building, just kept promoting him up the chain, I guess. <laughs> Washington now has a coaching staff that one time had Sean McVay, Matt LeFleur, Mike McDaniel. Robert Sala, all of these people were on the same coaching staff. I think I'm forgetting. Did I? I McVay, Shanahan. LeFleur, right? Oh, I forgot Shanahan, McVay, Shanahan, LaFleur, McDaniel, Robert Sala, all on the same coaching staff. That's five NFL head coaches, four of whom have pretty good job security right now. Are you sure Kevin O'Connell wasn't doing something? I know he was under McVay's tree. I don't think McConnell, uh, Kevin O'Connell was ever with him in Washington, but still, same point, right? Like yeah. they, McConnell comes from that same tree. Zach Taylor comes from the McVay coaching situation. Like all of this is a byproduct of the changing NFL and really what Andy Reid laid the foundation for in terms of like incorporating spread offense into the NFL, which, which then blossoms into the zone running scheme combined with spread. But like a lot of this stems from those young people all getting <laughs> together. And obviously Mike McDaniel was the ball boy on Mike Shanahan's Denver Broncos. So exactly. there's the connection there. Can we pull it all the way back to the beginning? I, you got to give it to Bill Walsh because if you go Andy Reid, Andy Reid through Holmgren, Holmgren through Bill Walsh. And then of course you look right, Mike Shanahan and everything that's blossomed from his tree. That of course also ties back to Bill Walsh. So that West Coast scheme, it just has great longevity and it shows that if you just put the right pieces in it, I mean, you don't have to do anything fancy. You mentioned downfield passing was still one of the big question marks. When you have guys running four threes all across the field and you could just hit them in space, they're going to do some special things. And that's exactly what the Miami Dolphins offense is. You mentioned again, Tua, he still doesn't have a contract yet. 
Well, the Dolphins may come to regret that if he keeps playing like this because the price is only going to keep going up. This is how impressive the Dolphins are at this point. And again, the thing I will acknowledge, they are either the second or third best team in the AFC. That's the thing that I feel certain. It's either them or Buffalo. Because like Buffalo is still very quietly, very, very talented. And And they play this week. And they play this week. And while Miami was doing all this, Buffalo did like win 37 to three against Washington and the three came in garbage time. So like Buffalo, Kansas City and Miami all had ridiculous dominating weeks and then throw San Francisco in there. Those are the four best teams in the NFL right now. But besides that point, like, yeah, no, sorry, Dallas. (laughs) Dallas is right in that group and Philly's in that group, too. You lose to the Cardinals. You take a few knocks in the power rankings. There's there's four there's four that I feel like are really really good and Miami being in that group here's what's so impressive I did not believe that you could build an elite NFL offense I know people throw elite around a lot a legitimate top three to five NFL offense I did not believe you could build that around a wide receiver I just didn't think it was possible in the modern NFL because everyone says quarterbacks are the most valuable positions worth 40 million dollars edge rushers are the most valuable positions worth $30 million. I did not think that wide receiver was in that class until I've seen what the Dolphins have done because this whole thing is built around Tariq Hill and Tariq Hill has a four-year $120 million contract with the Dolphins and he's underpaid. $30 million a year, he is underpaid by the Miami Dolphins for what that offense builds around. Like When people talk about like what top-end quarterback money is, Tariq Hill is that valuable. Like He is one of the 10 most valuable players in the NFL and I did not think that was possible two years ago, three years ago. I didn't think that a top three to five offense in the NFL could be built around a wide receiver. That's how impressive the last two years have been for the Miami Dolphins. They have re-engineered the way I think about football. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.